Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. It's a good morning. Well, before we get started, guys, hey, um, you know, we, we've already welcomed everybody to Outpost. Glad you're here. If you're a friend, if you're a member, if you're a guest, we're just always happy to see you guys and glad to share this time in the mornings. We get to talk about Jesus. We get to worship Jesus. Hope you guys enjoy that time together. I always love it. And, uh, but hey, what we're going to do today, we're talking about our fifth uh, pattern of renewal, and we're talking about slowness. Um, but what we're going to do first, we're going to slow down. We're going to kind of update you guys on some things that's happening at Outpost, some things that might be helpful to know, and things that we really just want you guys to be praying about. We've been working on them behind the scenes, been thinking about them a lot, and talking about it a lot, praying about it a lot. And so we just want to share just a few things with you guys. Um, it's no big monumental things, but some stuff we want to be praying about. Number one, okay, where are my region friends in the room? Woohoo, got some region people in here. Let's go. They're a little, usually they're more excited, but they got one less hour of sleep. Yeah. Hey, there we go. Hey, Regen is going to be finishing out uh, its one-year pilot group next month. Let's give them like a little bit of a round of applause. That's awesome. If you don't know anything about Regen, Regen stands for short for regeneration, okay? It's what Christ has done in us. Uh, Titus 3.5 tells us that he's regenerated us to new life. We were once dead in our sin, and he's made us alive. And these guys have been experiencing the grace of Jesus in this 12-step, one-year program. And it's not about, it's not just a recovery program. It's just a program that helps introduce you to the one who helps you recover. It's introduction to Jesus, discipleship throughout a year. And they are finishing it. Um, and with finishing our pilot group, we're calling it a pilot group because um, we're hoping by this fall, we're going to be launching Regen as an open group, okay? Which means that anybody in here who wants to go and grow closer to Jesus and grow uh, further from their hurts, habits, and hangups can go and be a part of it at any time of the year. And it also means that people in our community can be a part of it, which is absolutely amazing. What an opportunity to be able to do that. And so I want you guys to be praying for Regen. They're closing out in April. Uh, in the summer, they're gonna do a lot of training, getting prepped. Um, they're gonna need volunteers. All right? And it's a great thing for, to serve Jesus in, to go and help people as they navigate this journey, all right? And navigate hurts, habits, and hangups as they try to seek to walk with Jesus. So be praying for regeneration. Pray for the leaders. Pray about maybe your family's uh, being a part of it. Pray for people who are going to one day be joining this and finding new life like they've never experienced. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. And uh, so be praying for that. That also is connected to an effort at Outpost that we're trying to step into, and I'm really excited about. Zoe Pearson is doing an incredible job. If you don't know Zoe, reach out, give her a high five and a hug. She's amazing. But we've been connecting with a lot of ministries and um, other services throughout Cody, and um, also connecting with some churches. One church in Powell who we got to spend time with was, is it New Life? My mind went Young Life, but that's not a church. Okay, so New Life who are doing an incredible job in Powell of being connected to Department of Family Services. And so we at Outpost, we want to be on mission here locally, but we can't be about everything, right guys? Like we can't be a part of everything. We're going to talk about that this morning, really. And so we've, they've been going and interviewing and talking to all these people from prison ministries to uh, talking to the food pantry, like, we didn't talk to the food pantry, but the school, um, Serenity, jail ministry. So we, they've been talking to a lot of people trying to get to know where can we be a part of meeting needs in Cody. And where we've kind of landed is actually with Department of Family Services, with these children who are in need, these families who are in need. And we see Regen as a huge piece of meeting that need for all those ministries. But we also want to be a church who are going to care for the widows and orphans and care for kids who are in need. My wife and I have been uh, 
uh, foster family. We did that for years. We had over 10 kids, one kid for over three years. It was an amazing experience, and we want to be as a church. Um, start talking about what does it look like for us as a church to be a part of that. It's kind of exciting. Some of you are a little anxious. You're like, oh gosh, don't ask me to pray about that, because what if God asked me to do it? And I'll go, then you should do it. That's what you should do, you know? Um, but we're going to start talking about it. It's going to be a slow process. You guys can be praying um, for these families. We've talked to DFS, and they are desperate, desperate. And I tell you what, the government, uh, I'm sorry, Bonnie, I'm going to say it. They suck at doing the things that the church was meant to do, okay? And so we're going to start bringing that in front of you guys and showing you what does it look like to be a part uh, of these, uh, these families' lives, Okay, we're not the rescuer. Jesus is, but Jesus wants to use us. Amen. Awesome. Hey, we also want to let you guys know um, we get asked quite often, probably less lately. I think I don't know if we're settling into this gym or what, um, but we get asked quite often, like, "Hey, are, so are we going to get a building? Are we going to do this?" We want to be honest with you. We've been praying about that a lot, and as you guys know, buildings are really super duper expensive, and um, building buildings costs a lot of money, especially today. And so we have not moved forward. We've actually taken a lot of steps to look into some buildings, talk about some buildings. We've prayed about buildings. We brought our shepherds and community into talking about some and just still have not felt relieved to go and do it. <laughs> no, we're good. I just had to turn and make sure you're still alive. <laughs> we're good. Um, so we've been, we've been praying about it. So guys, we just want to say, like, we want to invite you in. We want you guys to be praying. We don't think it's wise for us to go and spend three, four years uh, a budget right now on getting into a building when God has graciously given us a space to be able to meet in. But the reality is we are limited in some ways by uh, a facility because having a facility sometimes helps us facilitate doing God's business. But at the end of the day, the church doesn't need a building, right? What's 1 Corinthians 3.16 tell us? We are God's building. God's spirit dwells within us and wherever we are, there's the church. Um, but there's some ministries like Regen who need spaces. And so, man, we just want you all to pray, okay? Pray that God will just give us something. I mean, I'm cool with that. You guys cool with praying without that? Like, like that'd be, I, I wouldn't say no unless it's, you know, like a, a little house. I'd be like, you know, all right, Lord, you know. Um, but we're not trying to find some big sanctuary. We're not trying to pack out buildings. Man, we're trying to serve Jesus. And that's why we're trying to stay focused on um, using all of our money to go towards ministry and serving the people and to beat them out these ministries that are meeting real needs. Okay, which brings me to the last thing I just want to update you guys on. Uh, our fiscal year is July to June, okay? And so we're coming up on doing some budget and planning. At Church Plant, the very beginning, it's just constantly evolving, constantly changing, trying to figure out who we are, what we are, what we can do. And so right now, we're actually starting to the budget process to get ready for the year. And we're going to let you guys know about what that looks like. We want to be transparent with you guys. Um, I'm just going to let you know there's some things, if you come from Baptist background, you're not going to see. I apologize, but we're just not like that. Um, but there's a lot of things we do want you to see, to see where your money is going to fill in for your ministry, okay? Because it's, we're serving Jesus, we're giving this money to him, but we want to steward that really well so we can meet needs and share the gospel and be about the mission together as a family, okay? It's not Greg's salary, it's not Jake's salary, it's about the mission of Jesus here locally. Does that make sense? Just letting you know, that's coming, and we're going to talk to you about it, and I'm excited to talk to you about it, and uh, it's going to be great. All right. Oh, I got one more thing, um, and this is one of my favorites, and then we'll dive right into this, and we'll pray to the Lord Jesus that I end in enough time to sing one more song, okay? Um, one thing I want to tell you guys is we at Outpost, if you're new with us, we really care about the spine of shepherding. We call it the spine of shepherding because we believe that shepherding is the thing that holds this whole thing together, and if you don't shepherd the people well 
then it doesn't matter what else you're doing, that stuff's going to be weak, all right? Men in the room, you know what it's like, right? Like you get up in the morning, you just get out of bed, and boom, your back goes out. You can't do anything. From there on, you're just like hobbling around. And it doesn't make any sense why your back goes out. I'm not going to get into that. That's just really weird. But here at Outpost, we follow Exodus 18's wisdom. It talks about setting up shepherds over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And we set these men and women up in a way that they can meet the needs uh, of every single person that God has entrusted to us to here. And so at Outpost, one of those steps is elders, which in our context is over the, the hundreds. Um, and then we have what we call community group shepherds, and they oversee the 50s. These are men and women who oversee community groups. And I say women. Let me go ahead and clarify because you're wondering. Um, uh, we've got one community group shepherd. It's Kim. She's hate that I'm calling her out right now. Woo-woo. She, she is, yeah, she's about to leave, yeah. She is the best female shepherd we have. She's also the only one we have. And uh, she oversees our single women's groups because we think it's wise to have a wise woman who knows God's word shepherding single women and not a man doing that, okay? It could work, but, you know, we think there's some wisdom in not doing that. And so um, we have shepherds, and then we have community group leaders who are over the tens, and then we have every member is called to be a shepherd of one another. You hear what I'm saying? And so the strength of the way that we do that is going to be the strength of this church. And it means that every single person can be seen, can be met, can be talked to, can be cared for, okay? And that's what we want. Well, we just took a huge step, okay? And we are put, we're moving all of our community groups, which are 16, have been under the care of each one of those three guys you saw on the screen earlier. Well, all those groups are now being handed to shepherds. So we just did a massive jump to hand all of our groups to about nine, 10 people who are overseeing all these groups. And we're just letting you know, we just took this big step. You're going to start seeing it and feeling it. So if your member's here, those people are going to be reaching out to you. If your shepherd was Tommy, it's probably not going to be Tommy anymore. It might be somebody else. And but we're telling you that just because you're going, okay, big whoop, but it's really exciting um, because it's a huge step. Because at, at Outposts, it's not about guys who are paid. You guys can be shepherds and pastors of one another. And we're excited that that's actually happening. All right? Pumped? Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what he just talked about, but it's really great. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad to be here? You guys ready to get in God's word and talk about slowness today? Some of you need it. Well, let me pray before we jump in um, and just seek God's loving kindness. God, I pray that you, I know you're here with us, that you're in me and you're in my brothers and sisters and you're also with us. I pray this morning, open our hearts and our ears. Um, that we might contemplate and think and see what you're inviting us into. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I need to confess something to you guys. It may be sin. Um, I am a recovering Martha, okay? I'm a recovering Martha. If you don't know what that means, you're going to find out today. Um, but I want to tell you guys about a dream I had uh, a few months ago. I told my community group about it. It scared the living life out of me. But I was in this dream. There's like snow everywhere. I was getting in my car, getting in the car, and I was going to back out of this driveway. It's nighttime, and so I'm like backing out of the driveway, and as I'm backing out, I go to put my foot on the brake to kind of like, you know, turn so I can go forward. When I put my foot on the brake, in the dream, I could feel like it was a little squashy. Like when I put my foot, it didn't quite break the way I was thinking it should break, but it still came to a stop. And because I'm a complete idiot, I was like, oh, okay, it'll totally be fine. So I just put it in gear, and I start driving, and I start driving down the road and going at a normal pace, normal speed. But then I want to kind of like, I want to kind of ease up a little bit. So I put my foot on the brake and nothing. I got nothing out of those brakes. I just kept moving. And not only did I keep moving, I didn't put my foot on the gas, but I kept going faster and faster 
and faster. And I'm like driving down this road and I'm dodging cars. I'm starting to kind of skid. The tail's starting to go out a little bit. And I could see this intersection. You guys know, what's that? Okay, I'm not even going to try to figure this out right now with all of you. It was a street, okay? But it's here in Cody. And I was driving down the street and I could see there was an intersection at the end of this road. And I am going, I don't know how, breakneck speed towards this intersection. And I am screaming, I'm freaking out. And my thought, my last thought was, before I woke up, was like, do I put this into my ditch or I just like go through this intersection and obliterate everybody? Because I could see cars just... And right at the last second, I go to turn it and then I woke up. And I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, when I wake up from those, I yell a little bit. So I was just like, ah, I like screamed. My heart is just like pounding in my chest. I was freaking out so much that I was like, I got on my knees like, Lord, what have I done? Like, you know... Now, here's the thing. I don't even have to ask. I already know the answer. But do any of you feel like your lives, you resonate with that dream a little bit? Like your life is going at a pace and at a speed, and no matter how much you pump that brake, it just never seems to slow down. Anybody feel that way? That's like me, man. I I, I talk to people all the time. Okay, I've lived here now eight years. And Cody people, I got to say, we go, we do this thing. You know, when we get through this season, right? When we get through this season, it'll be good. How long is that season? Okay, like, am I right? Like, you finish a season, and then somehow the next season is busier than the last season, right? How many of you guys have just started soccer season? This is the season where I watch parents die slowly. At the end of it, they come back and they're like, soccer season over. I'm like, why do you do that to yourself? You look horrible. You're like, you, had, you, you went into that season with just beautiful black hair, and you came out with pepper. Like, how did you do that? So I think all of us, we resonate with all the pressures that we have in our life. We got pressures of kids, and we got pressures of sports. We got the pressures of our job. We got the pressures of our relationships. We got pressures of what's going on in the world. We got pressures of things we're seeing on social media. We got pressures of marketing and advertising. We got pressures to just be and to go and to do and all these things. And that pressure is just constantly put on the gas pedal, not on the brake. And it speeds us up. And what ends up happening is there's intersections in our life where we're wrecking into people over and over. Where our, our spouse is feeling the wreckage of this constant going and the speed that's going on. Where our kids feel just the wreckage of us constantly moving and going. And so we're irritable and we're frustrated and we yell at them at times we don't mean to. Because we're just, we got to go where there's so many things. And that's not just external, it's also internal. Because the reality, every time I ask somebody, hey, how's it going? What's the first thing they say? It's busy. It's busy. Everybody's busy. High school students are busy, and so is the President of the United States, but I don't think there's the same busy. Everybody is busy, and I'm not trying to say that we're not, but I just want to point out, I think there's a problem. And I'm going to say it like this. Has the speed of our lives outpaced the grace of Jesus? Think about that. Has the speed of your life, internally and externally, outpaced the grace of Jesus? Have we allowed the demands and the pressures to lead us to go so fast in our lives that we don't have time for Christ and for Jesus? I'll admit, me. You go, man, that's your job though, isn't it? Yes, but there are times, there are seasons 
where I use the B word. And I just say, I'm busy. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I'm passing by at 60 miles an hour, waving at Jesus, but never pulling over to sit and be with him. Anybody? Have we outpaced the grace of being with Jesus? Guys, we're human beings, not human doings, right? But don't you feel like all the doing has robbed you of being human? And we've lost a bit of what God has for us? Look, I think the answer is yes. I know you're thinking about it right now, but the answer is yes. I think for many of us, that is the way it's been. Even people who live in Wyoming are going too fast, and we're busy. And so today, we're going to look at something. Look, I can't criticize you, because like I said at the beginning, I'm a recovering Martha. And if you don't know who Martha is, we're about to read about Martha and her sister Mary. It's going to be great. Um, but what we're going to see in this story we're going to read about is not a rebuke, but an invitation. And the invitation is to slow down and to be with Jesus. It's everything we've been talking about for the last five weeks, to slow down, to be with him. And so we're going to look at the purpose of why this story was here, okay? We're going to look at that purpose. We're going to talk about posture, and then we're going to talk about portion, okay? So let's look at purpose. Why is this story here? We're going to see it in verse 38. It says this. Oh, you don't even know where we're at, right? Luke 10, 38. There it is. I need to slow down and tell you where we're going. Luke 10, 38, go there. It's going to be great. Here we go. It says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, pause right there. One of the things that makes theologians kind of scratch their head about this, just this verse, but the story, um, uh, it, it, it catches their attention is the fact that Luke uses the word village. I know for you, you're like, what's the big deal? If you read any of the other gospels, the other gospel writers tell us what the village is. So for Luke to be generic, it's kind of strange. We know it's Bethany. Bethany's two miles from Jerusalem. So why is Luke being so generic and saying the word village? Luke is a physician and a historian. Like, if you read Luke, it's got a lot more detail. He'll give you the exact disease somebody has. So why is he being generic about village? Well, most people agree that the reason why he does that, and he's being kind of general, is because this story doesn't actually fit in the chronological story that's going on in Luke. He's actually taking it from another time period of Jesus' ministry, and he's pulling it, and he's putting it right here, and he's doing it for teaching purposes, okay? Not historical purposes. You hear that? He's wanting to teach you something. So its movement right there catches our attention. So what's so important? Why right here? Well, if you're in your Bibles, look at the story that's right above it. What's the story? Somebody tell me. The, the story of the Samaritan. You guys have ever heard that story? It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. We have a ministry today that's busy all over the world doing amazing things called Samaritan's Purse. Okay? It's a great story. Okay, and so he puts this story here, this world-famous story, um, right there, and he slides this one in right behind it. And the reason is, it's not that something's missing from the Good Samaritan story, which is all about sacrificial service. He slides this one in here because there is a pitfall. There is a ditch that comes with the Good Samaritan story. All right, there's a pitfall. It's about sacrificial service. The story of Martha and Mary is a story of self-centered service. It's a story of self-centered service. And so Luke is going to teach us something through what Jesus taught us. Okay, so I want you to kind of imagine it like this, okay? I'm going to throw my wife under the bus. I already warned her. It's going to be totally fine. Um, 
Imagine this, husbands, ladies, that Jesus was in the Bighorn Basin, all right? He's in Lovell, and he like healed some dude, like raised somebody from the dead or whatever, and then he like walked to Powell. He fed 5,000 people outside of Powell, and he's walking to Cody. He's coming into Cody, right? And uh, ladies in here who are married, you find out your husband invited him to come have dinner at your house. Husbands, at the moment she finds out, what is she about to start doing? She's going to start cleaning, right? You don't even have to be married. You know this, right? <clears throat> if I invite you to my house, my house turns into a war zone of cleanliness, okay? Where if, I, if you, we know you're coming over, we're scrubbing baseboards, kids are getting haircuts in the bathroom, like, you know, we're just doing all kinds of stuff, man. It's just crazy. I need you to do this. You go there. We're going to make this happen. Get everything together. And it's just frantic. It's just crazy. Imagine if we invited Jesus to your house. What would happen to your wife? Her head would explode, right? Her head would explode. But it makes sense. It makes complete sense, all right? It's Jesus coming over to our house. You want to be hospitable. I love that about my wife. My wife is an incredibly hospitable person. And so it's not really fair to say that the story of Mary and Martha is a story about self-centered service, okay? It's not fair to say that. It's, also, it, it's fair to say that the story of Mary and Martha is a story about having the right priorities, it's a story about having the right priorities and how those priorities influence our life's pace, our posture, and our portion. One of the things we're about to see is that Luke put this story in here to show us that all great service comes from having a heart that's in a great posture. Okay? It's not just about self-centered service. It's about actual beautiful service, but how do we get there? Because you read the Good Samaritan story, and you guys are all a part of church. I talk to you. If I catch you on the street, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Oh, we haven't been there in a while, but we're going to be there. I'm like, what are you freaking out about? Like, I don't keep track of your attendance, right? And you're always like, we, there's this pressure. Anybody feel it? Like this pressure to serve and like, oh, I got to die. I got to get my hands nailed to a cross. I got to serve all the time. There's like this internal and external anxiety we feel to serve all the time. And we read the Good Samaritan story, and we're like, oh, no, now I got to like, you know, take guys to a hotel and like nurse them back to hell. I got to do all this stuff. And we like instantly freak out and become super legalistic. And the story is going to show us that the only way that we become the Good Samaritan is that we got to get in the right posture. So let's go. Verse 39, what it talks about. Somebody needs to discipline those children because they're way too loud. Verse 39. And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Let your imagination fill that in. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Do you hear this? You see this? There's so much gold in this right here. So let's talk about different postures. We got one who's sitting and we got one who's serving, right? Think about the idea of sitting. If somebody is sitting right here in front of me while I'm teaching, they're sitting and they're looking at me. It's just this place of just like rest and focus. It's a place of rest Sitting, it's like a child, and focus, and listening, and looking up, and taking in, into the heart. Like, you see the posture, it's a physical posture of what you have to say is what I am concerned about right now. That's what matters. 
And then we have Martha. And what's Martha doing? We kind of get this image of her just kind of, what's she doing? She's like, she's running around, right? She's refilling drinks, right? She's taking some plates. She's like washing them, right? She's getting some extra seats out. How you feeling? You need an extra cushion here, right? She's just running around, doing all these things, moving, right? You could see it. And that's the difference. You got one, seated, planted, hanging out, listening. In awe, in rapture, right here. Other one, just kind of doing all these things. Now, here's the thing. Let's be clear, okay? This is not sitting versus serving, okay? Because I'm not about to give any of you permission to not serve. This is sitting, then serving. One is sitting, one is not. So what is wrong is not serving. If I, you know, fire me the moment I say that it's wrong to serve Jesus, is it wrong to serve Jesus? No. Is it wrong to sit with Jesus? No. They're both very good things. This is not a sitting versus serving. This is the battle between two different type of hearts. A heart that wants Jesus and a heart that wants approval. What happens when we're so busy trying to get approval and trying to grab and do all these things? What's the result? Well, Martha shows us. Number one, we get distracted from what matters most. We get distracted. It says she's distracted with much serving. You could easily, you could imagine Mary and Martha sitting in the kitchen and Martha looking at Mary going, Mary, don't you realize who's in our house? But couldn't Mary say the same thing to Martha? Martha, don't you realize who's in our house? Like, put the food down. Let's just go sit and listen. They can both say the same thing, but Martha is distracted, either distracted with her own wants, her own desires, her own needs, expectations, and all the things that are on her life, she's distracted. What else happens when we're really busy, guys? Not only do we get distracted from what matters most, we also start thinking that nobody cares about us. Jesus, don't you care? When we get busy, isn't it like that? We go, man, nobody cares about me. I'm caring for everybody else. Anybody care about how I feel? Now, I'm being very, like, kind of hyperbolic, but, like, at the same time, you guys are going, yeah, that's, that's when it happens. And when you do that, you start, also start to feel alone. When you get so busy driving and doing this and being that and blah, 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 nobody cares about me, and I'm just alone, I'm distracted, and you just miss, and I'm turning more inward and inward. And lastly, we start telling everybody what to do. Well, it's their fault, and if they would just do this, and they would just jump up and help me, if he would just pick up the kids. That's what happens when we get busy, guys, you are not designed to go 60 miles an hour. You're designed to go zero to five miles an hour, to walk, to move at a pace. But so many of us, we don't just have, we have this, kind of, we have this external treadmill that we call our life, which is full of all these things that if I were to ask you to list them right now, would just make you more anxious in this room and distracted. But we also have like the internal treadmill, don't we? Where we feel exhausted on the inside. We can like rest and we still feel exhausted because our minds are running. You're sitting down to be with Jesus. You're opening up your Bible because your pastor told you you should, right? And you're like reading it. But you're sitting there and you didn't get anything because the whole time you're thinking about, well, we got to get kids to this place. We got to do that. Or what are we going to do here? Oh, what homework did I forget? Like we're thinking about all these things. And by the time we're in, like, I don't even know what I read. And now I'm just a horrible person. And then we're going to go out and try to like fulfill all of our needs by just doing more. Am I right? Anybody in here resonate? You bunch of liars. Yeah, you do. Like, holy cow. 
And so what happens is the internal, regardless of how busy we are on the outside, the internal treadmill is just going and going and going. Deep in the Carlsbad cavern of our heart, we're just on this treadmill. Jesus said, hey, why don't you hop off and sit at the picnic table with me? What happens when we sit at the picnic table with Jesus? What's the result of those who slow down and be with Jesus? I'll tell you one thing. They know that they're cared for. They don't go, do you even care, Lord? They don't do that. They know God cares for them because God's words tell them. Two hands nailed to a cross, tell them. He cares. They get focused on what is the main thing. They're reminded of what is the main thing. We don't, those people who sit with Jesus, they ask him, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Rather than go, Jesus, tell her to do this. Jesus, tell them to do this. We go, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you ask. Those who sit at the feet of Jesus. Also, those who sit at the feet of Jesus never feel alone. Those who sit at the feet of Jesus never feel alone. Paul is a man who lived for Jesus, right? And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, he tells us that everybody in his life abandoned him. Everybody just left. And he's writing to Timothy, you know, so-and-so is gone. You know, Demas, who's in love with this world, he's just, he abandoned me, all these things. And then Alexander the coppersmith came, and he just absolutely ripped me public in front of everyone when I was alone. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 17, he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message of salvation might be preached and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul was a man who sat with Jesus and knew that even when everyone abandoned him, he was not alone. So many of us, we go at such a breakneck pace that life is always happening to us and we live reactionary, right? We're just trying to keep up. Ah, we're just trying to keep up, keep that seatbelt on. It's very reactionary, we're trying to go. And so life happens to us, but we see in Paul's life it happens through him. The message went through him to others. Do you hear this? You feeling where you're at? That's what happens when we sit in a posture with Jesus and we take time to drive out all the distractions, turn the treadmill off, pull the key out, internally, externally, and go, all right, I got, I'm going to sit, I'm going to focus, I'm going to listen. What you have to say is what I want to hear and be with him. It's a different posture. It's a completely diff- different posture. Okay, And when we get in that posture, I'm telling you, and you don't believe me, but I'm telling you, you will find a portion that you've always dreamed of. That every single one of you in this room right now, if I were to ask you and you fill out a questionnaire, what are you looking for? What do you want? If it were really to be boiled down, you want peace. Just genuine, no matter what happens, peace and joy and freedom. The world could collapse. The sky could be falling. You're like, hey, this is hard, but I've got peace. That's what we want. And it's a portion that God wants to give us. And the portion is about full hearts, not full bellies. Let's keep going. Verse 41. Talking about portion. And the Lord answered her. Listen, I think some of us read the Bible and we think Jesus is just always angry. Okay? He's not, he's not angry. It says, Martha. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Listen close. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Is that on the screen? Read that. 
Just read it and think about it for a second. Now let me ask you, are you anxious and troubled about many things? Anybody in here feel anxious? A little bit? Me? I have migraines because of anxiety. Because I carry, apparently, my doctor tells me, I carry all my anxiety in my neck and shoulders. I don't have big traps. I have a lot of anxiety. Okay? I'm anxious, and so I walk around like this, and I'm tense. Right? And so then I don't sleep. And we're anxious and troubled. You know, our country is an anxious country. Very anxious country. Our state is a very anxious state. We're number one for suicides per capita in the United States. We beat out 49 other states to be the best at killing ourselves. I think that we're anxious and troubled and feel like we're alone and nobody cares for us and we're distracted by what matters from what matters most. We're anxious. If you go in the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, which their slogan is, triumphing through science, treatment, and education. I believe God has given us science, treatment, and education. I don't think they're triumphing. Look at the United States. They say this, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older, 18.1% of the population every year. I think that is an absolute appalling lowball number. I think it is far higher than that. It's just few of us ever talk about it, especially in Wyoming. We don't talk about it. I think it's more like of the 320 million people who live in America, 300 million are anxious. People with anxiety disorders are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. We have they, what they call now general anxiety disorder. Now, I'd say generally, we all kind of struggle with that. And it's women are twice as affected as men. I think their treadmill in their heads runs at a solid 10 miles an hour, I think men's runs at seven. Both exhausting. We have panic disorder, specific phobia, stress, social anxiety disorder, OCD, PTS, major depression disorder, eating disorders, headaches, substance abuse, sleep disorders, so many things. And guys, the goal is, I know many of you struggle with some of these, and the goal is not to make you feel more guilty and more stressed out. The goal is to point out that the stats show that we're anxious and troubled about many things. We're anxious and troubled. And what's amazing is that more than any other culture in America and any, or any culture in the world and any other culture in history, we have the three basic things taken care of. Food, shelter, and clothing. The things that cause real anxiety around the world. How will I feed my children? How will I stay warm? Where will I sleep tonight? This is not a criticism of those who are rich, but we've got multiple houses. We've got pantries full of more little Debbies than we know what to do with. And right, we've got, uh, uh, what did I say, multiple houses. And then we also got closets packed full of clothes. Go to the bargain box. There's clothes pouring out of clothes. There's so much did you know that the personal storage unit business in the United States earns $40 billion a year to hold our extra stuff? Okay? 
And maybe you got a storage unit. This is not a criticism. It's not a criticism. Having a storage unit is not a sin. We consume more fossil fuels than any other country in the world. Not against it. But what it shows us is America, who's the most anxious one, we're constantly moving, constantly flying around the place, trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible, as long as possible, experience as many things as possible and do this. But yet, we are killing ourselves more than any other country in the world. And we're depressed, and we're anxious, and we're reaching deep to find something to fill us. And what does Jesus say to Martha? But only one thing is necessary. Listen to me, friends. One thing is necessary. And this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. Is life found? This is for you to think about. I'm not giving you the answer. Is life found at the feet of Jesus or is it found at the work of your hands? Is life found at the feet of Jesus or is it found at the work of your hands? One thing I am sure of is that we all want to be filled with joy and peace. Every one of your hearts longs for the peace of heaven. But we're really confused on where it comes from and we're not sure of the answer. I feel like we're a lot like the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman at the well, maybe you've heard about it. Jesus uh, meets her at a well. She tried to find life and peace uh, through men. And one man, after another, she didn't find what she was looking for, so she went to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until she had five. And then she, by that point, she's developed a reputation, and that reputation is like taking the internal treadmill and turning it up to 12. And now she's got to manage this life that's got this reputation. And so she's exhausted, and she's anxious, and she's freaking out, and she's been trying to find life in all these places, and she's not getting it. And so now her reputation's led her to a place where instead of going in the morning to go get water, when all the other women does, she's got to go at a different time in the heat of the day. And why is she doing that? Because she's so anxious and afraid and feels so alone, she doesn't want the eyes and the opinions of others to judge her. Man, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like in my sin. And so she goes at a completely different time and walks all the way up this hill to get to this well to go be there. And unfortunately, the worst happens. Not only is somebody there, but it's a man. And he's sitting there while she's trying to do her work and she's exhausted and she's pulling out bucket after bucket and by the work of her hands trying to fill up her life with the refreshment of this water. And then this man has the audacity, the gall to talk to her. And not just talk to her, but ask her to do something for him. Some of you feel like that in your life. You've got a reputation you're trying to manage, you're trying to work, you're trying to do your things. You feel like Jesus has interrupted your life and he has the audacity to ask you to do something. And so I think maybe you resonate with what it says in John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? How dare you even ask me to get you some water? And you know how she feels, right? She's busy. She's got things to do. I've got to get out of here. I don't want to be talking to your mug. I don't even know who you are. You're a Jew. Your people hate my people, and I hate your people as well. We know what that's like. Our schedules, 
our sin, whether we realize it's a sin or not, they're draining us of our life, and we're, we're just too busy. We've got to go fill back up. And, and here's, the, here's the other problem. It's really embarrassing. It's that many of you Christians, you're just, just like her. Even though you found Christ, you're walking around like spiritual zombies. You're moving and you're talking, but in your eyes, there's no life, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no light. And so as she keeps working to pull up this bucket and get everything out, she's moving. I feel like just added another thing to her day. In verse 10, this, this guy feels like he, he knows what she needs. Does that bother anybody? When someone comes up to you and tells you, you know what you need? You need slowness. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you just knew. It's a direct quote from the prophet Jeremiah. God's calling out his people in Jeremiah and it says in verse 13 of Jeremiah, he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Guys, all all of us are kind of like Martha, and we're kind of like the Samaritan woman. We're so thirsty. We're so thirsty for love and for peace and fulfillment, and for mercy, and for grace, and for kindness, that we're frantically dropping our buckets in all kinds of wells in our lives, right? And the wells of achievement, and the wells of pleasure, and family, and work, and hunting, and sports, and what our people think about us, and we keep dropping our buckets down there, and we do it, and we pull it back up, and the water is just pouring out the whole time, and all we get is like drops, and it just never satisfies. Have you come to that conclusion yet? If you haven't, you will. It never satisfies. And so what do we do? We just throw the bucket back down. Maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe it'll get some peace. Maybe it'll get some joy. So what do we do? We get back into the kitchen and start cooking. We get back to work and start achieving. Go back on the feed and keep scrolling. Get back on Amazon keep buying, right? We get back into the soccer season and keep driving. But everything you're looking for, you don't get what you're looking for. And so how do we respond? How do we respond? It's kind of like the Samaritan. Listen to the way the Samaritan woman responds. I relate to this gal. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? They're like, come on, bro. You ain't got a bucket. Yeah, right, dude. I've seen your followers. They're just as lifeless as I am. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She's starting a battle between Samaritans and Jews here, but I think a lot of people feel that with Christians. You Christians, you always think you know what's right, what's best for me. You always think you're better than me. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, he just come, I love Jesus, man. The man just like, you could just go left field, and he just stays right down the middle. And he says, Jesus said to her, Hey, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That word never is appropriately translated, by the way. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And the woman says this. You need to hear this kind of sarcastically. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. I think some of us are thinking, like, man, like, did she, I, she doesn't even know who she's sitting across from. Like, if she only knew, right? Like, if she just knew who she was sitting across from. But I thought about that, and I thought I had that thought. Like, don't, I mean, if she just knew that was, that was Jesus. But how awful is it that I do know who she's sitting across from, and yet I still keep dropping my bucket into that same well? Do you hear that? How awful it is it that you do know who she's sitting across from, but yet you continue in your speed and in your anxiety to continue to chase these wells and drop these buckets and get no life. He's sitting right across from you. Jesus said to her, hey, go call your husband and come here. And that's when you're like, oh. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's like, thank God is Jesus saying this. And I think we hear that, and that's how we felt sometimes when we get approached. We feel like Jesus is calling us out on our sin, just trying to make us feel guilty, and just, this is what you've done. And that's not what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to remind her, she's mocking him. And he's trying to offer living water. She's mocking him. He's like, well, go back to those wells you were going to. Let's go get those and bring them here. You keep trying to go to get men. Well, let's go get one of them and bring them here. And we'll compare that life you were thinking you were getting to what I want to give you. Paul says it in Romans chapter 6. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you now are ashamed? Hey, Christians, are you going back to the same well? Why? It's just as lifeless as it was when you repented of it and followed Jesus. For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, guys, Jesus knows exactly what makes you thirsty. He knows exactly what's making Martha and Mary and, 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 and uh, the woman of Samaria and me. He knows exactly what's making us thirsty. And he's right there, and he's not trying to call you out on your sin and condemn you. He's trying to get your attention and say, hey, brother, is it working? Did that second house give you what you wanted? Did their approval give you what you wanted? Did your church, church attendance give you what you wanted? It didn't. And all the things you've been chasing haven't. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's like, okay, you, you know a few things. Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. Pay close attention. He says this, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is everything we've been talking about in this Patterns of Renewal. God doesn't want your services, your money, 
your mission trips. He wants you to worship him in your heart, not your checkbook, not with your broom, in your heart. And wherever your heart goes, you can worship him. That's what this is all about. Guys, we've got Christianity wrong for so long. We've made it about services and rows and worship songs and kitschy, like, weird things that we Christians do. And really, Jesus just wants to be with us. And he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Guys, listen to me right now. It's right now in real life, in real time, real talk. We need to slow down and realize the Messiah has been sitting across from you the whole time. The Messiah has been sitting next to you the whole time. And if you'd slow down and you would sit with him, he wants to give you a portion that's going to well up in you and never go away. It's going to be eternal life, joy and peace and kindness. And they may reject you and you're never alone. Satan might try to distract you, but you're always focused because you sit with Jesus. No matter what the day brings, you're like, I'm with Jesus. Guys, if we'd slow down and realize life is not on the other side of a rainbow, it's at the feet of of Jesus. In Luke 10, or yeah, Luke 10, 42, listen, Jesus tells Martha that her sister Mary has chosen the better portion. She chose it. It was a choice. And if it's a choice, it's a choice that Martha can make, isn't it? It's a choice. And what we see is a choice between choice of faith and a choice of works. A choice of faith that is dependent on Jesus like we sang about at the beginning of this service, a choice that is dependent on Jesus, I will choose to depend on Jesus, or a choice that's going to depend on the works of your hands, your church attendance, your service, what you give, are you a kind and nice person? If, that, if that's the way it is, the Mormons are going to heaven. But it's, it's a choice of faith. Do I trust that life is at the feet of Jesus? And if you really do believe it, I'm telling you right now, his well is available to you. The spring is available to you. He's been sitting across from you. You just got to slow down. Put your foot on the brakes, pull into the rest stop, get out, stretch your legs, and go sit at a picnic table with Jesus. Like, I, I, my mind, I think about that, that little rest stop, like on the other side of Thermopolis. You know what I'm talking about? Just like pull in, okay? I'm just going to pull in. I'm in a rush. I want to get down. To, I want to get there as fast as I can, right? But no, so I'm going to pull in. I'm going to sit. I'm going to go find a picture. I'm just going to be with Jesus. I'm going to sit here. And we're going to talk. And that is exactly what this is about. Some of you are so afraid of letting Jesus down. You're so afraid of letting Jesus down, you never sit with him. But Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You guys think you're going to let Jesus down? You are never holding him up to begin with. He holds you up. Stop running around and sit down and let him hold you and be with you. I know, men, that feels weird, but I'm telling you, go watch The Chosen. How many times Jesus just holds people? I cried every night this week watching The Chosen as he just held people. And I was like, I just want to jump in, but Jesus, just hold me. 
and be with Jesus. Christians in the room, non-Christians in the room, I want you to hear this. As I say these words, I want you to imagine Jesus talking to you. He was my age when he said this. Do you realize? He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you hear that? I told you, it's not a rebuke, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Now, clearly we're not doing that last song. <laughs> but I don't want you to leave here. It's great, I know. We've got to get and listen. I, I will be held to account by those children's words. Um, Carson's looking at me like right now. He's like, yes, you better let them go. Let my people go, right? Um, I want to give you a few practical things. Here's some things I want you guys to try out. You're going to do this. I mean, you're leaving here, and you're going to have the opportunity to do it the moment you leave. Here's what I want to do. Here's a couple environments where you can begin to practice this, and you're about to find out how addicted you are to speed. You ready? How addicted. Let's start with the car. Let me give you a few practical things that I think would be really helpful. Number one, I want to challenge you to spiritually do the speed limit. Okay? I mean, well, I physically do the speed limit and see how spiritually your heart does. When you leave here, if it's 30, do 30. South Fork people, when you're heading out there, I know there's no city cops and you could drive right past them. Just do the speed limit and just take your time. And if you find in your heart something waging war, it's called sin and just like let it go and be with Jesus. Number two, in your car, next time you see this red octagon that said stop, that does not stand for slow to optional pause. That, I want to encourage you, just try it. Try to come to a complete stop. It's agonizing, agonizing. But try it and just, I want you to come to a stop and have a conversation with Jesus. Like think about it. Jesus, man, this is so hard for me. I'm seeing I'm addicted. Hey, when you go to the store, I'm about to hurt some people. You go to the store, instead of picking the fastest line, go find the longest line and just stand. Yeah, a couple of moms were like, oh, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna care. You don't have to do it. These are choices you can make, but I'm telling you, you're about to find out how bad this is for you. Just go sit and just sit. And what are you going to do? Pray? Like, pray for people. Talk to somebody. You know, look at those dumb magazines. Just be there. Just be on the phone. Our phones are a mess. Hey, guys, parent your phone. Parent your phone. You put your kids to bed, put your phone to bed. You put them down at 8 o'clock. Some of you are horrible parents. You put them down at 7. Put your phone to bed at 7. Go plug it up. Go put it somewhere else. Don't put it in your room. Your phone doesn't sleep with you. All right? Your spouse does. All right? Go put it somewhere else. I, I just dare you to try it. Slow down. Put it away. When you have a Sabbath day, which we'll talk about next week, your phone goes on a Sabbath as well. Put it away. When you get on your phone, there's amazing ways now that you can turn off all notifications. Do it. Turn off all notifications. Turn them all off. The world will keep spinning. Right? Russia will keep being crazy. Ukraine, Ukraine will keep shooting people in the face. It'll just, things are going to keep happening. Your phone's not saving the world. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. In the morning, sit with Jesus. Be still and know that he is God and that he loves you and that he is sitting across from you the whole time. Father, you are good. And I am thankful you let me do this. Be with our people and these people. Help us create a culture 
of daily devotion to the Word, meditation, prayer, silence and solitude, and slowness. That the outpost people will be a people who move at a pace that just refuels the saltiness of our lives, makes us bright, and prepares us to follow you into where you have. Forgive us for being like Martha and doing it all for ourselves. May we be filled up and in our service do it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.